Coming live from Dallas, Texas is Amanda from Cresco International. You know they say everything's bigger in Texas, and that includes the stars we bring on our show. Here today we have with us Deborah Leff, IBM's global leader and industry CTO for data science and AI. On the Cresco side, we have our VP of services, Kenny Mobley, joining us to discuss AI in a post-pandemic world and shed some light on how it can be utilized for a speedier recovery. So Deborah, that's a pretty interesting title that you have. Can you expand a little bit more on what you do at IBM? Certainly. So within IBM's data and AI business, um, we have added a group of industry CTOs, and our role is to work with um, specific segments of the market all around the globe and help them as they establish their strategic roadmap of AI and machine learning initiatives that they would like to attack to optimize their business. So, Deborah, what are the type things that they were looking to use AI for prior to the pandemic? What type of things were they concentrating on the most? Yeah, so I think we've been in this uh, march towards more um, optimized operations and enhanced customer experience. Um, one of the greatest things that machine learning models allow us to do is to really learn from all of the data and all of the interactions um, that we can collect now and have access to now that allow you know, con uh, all types of retail, consumer products, travel companies, and across all industries to drive a very personalized experience. So within the industries that I specifically focus on, which are um, all consumer related and travel related, there was an absolute drive towards investing in anything that impacted the customer experience, make that more personalized and frictionless, as well as drive um, operational efficiency within the organization. So I would guess with all the things that have been happening now, there's been major disruptions in both the consumer purchase side and in travel specifically. I'm guessing they're going to have to look at it a lot differently post-pandemic. Well, I mean, I can tell you as someone who has serviced this market for a long time and I have relationships with some of the leading, you know, most leading companies around the globe, it is heartbreaking to see how they are being impacted right now. And it's, it's almost unconscionable to even imagine a scenario where retailers um, are shuttered and have to figure out how to continue to service customers. Um, what's happening with grocery is, is completely different in that they're, the stress on their supply chain, I mean, I think we're all feeling that pinch trying to scramble to get cleaning products and paper towels and toilet paper um, and seeing all of the breakpoints in the supply chain being just exposed and laid to bear. Um, and the travel industry, it's just heartbreaking to see hotels shuttered and airline you know, rolled back as it's just not safe for people to travel and to move around the country, yet alone the world. So, I mean, the, uh, I mean you know, it, it, it's really unbelievable to just to be living. We're living at such an unprecedented time um, to see the impact. So, of course, so many things that people were working on have been absolutely halted. And there's no doubt there will be a new prioritization of, of efforts um, as soon as, you know, we start approaching uh, a level of, you know, I think there's going to be, you know, we've got right now we're in the throes of the crisis. I imagine there will be some leveling off of, as we see um, the daily rate of new confirmed cases start to level and then got, got willing taper. 
And then there'll be a point in time that we can start thinking about recovery um, after the fact. But I think right now, as the number of cases in the United States are growing exponentially, I think right now we're just we're still in the early days of this crisis and it's all hands on deck to support employees and customers um, and do everything we can to, I would say, minimize the disruption. But doesn't that feel like a horrible understatement as we are all, you know, our world have been upended. So we're as disrupted as could be. Yeah, and it's great to see all these uh, commercial enterprises coming together to help because it is a humanitarian crisis at its core. But I can see how prior to all of this happening, you're talking about personalizing to a customer and it being very much about optimizing, trying to get like the last bit out of something. Whereas post-pandemic, they may be going back to a lot of fundamentals, like you say, supply chain, human resources, things that they haven't worried about at that scale for a long time. Do you still see a place for technologies like AI and helping on those fundamentals or is AI really only good when it comes to things like optimization? Oh, I think we're going to look back um, at this time period in all of our lives. And I feel like there's going to be a lot of pivots that we can look backwards and say, you know, this was because of the COVID-19 crisis. I do think that, you know, obviously that, you know, things that people want to do that support growth, I think will be important. But I think there are a lot of competing priorities. And I've seen the way companies have approached AI. So, you know, if you just look at the way AI has evolved over time, it really wasn't until, I don't know, the last handful of years that this even became a, a real possibility for most companies. I have to say that I think we first started talking about AI in a commercial sense. I don't think we started talking about it before Watson like won a game of Jeopardy. And that was in 2011. And it wasn't until you know, we started getting comfortable with this influx of big data, which is so important to training models, that we started to experience the maturity of cloud computing, so we have this unlimited compute power to actually process all of this data. And then that led to all of these advances um, in machine learning and artificial intelligence. And before, you know, early, like, you know, mid 2000, you know, 11 to like 2015, you know, most of, most of AI and ML was out of reach for most companies. It was either an academic pursuit or perhaps there were some very specialized resources in operations research and not every company had invested in operation research teams. So certain, certain industries have been more advanced. I would say, you know, we see, um, you know, more uh, advancements in oil and gas and in some engineering. We see lots of adoption of IoT devices and what all of that data can do. But there's lots of industries where it was something they wanted to do. And as all of this press and the analysts started really talking about what could be done, that really raised the visibility into adopting ML. But a lot of companies were really just starting out. And the successes that we've been seeing are, are you know, relatively recent. And even though there's been a lot of focus and investment, there's also been a lot of really not understanding how to get to AI at scale. Um, Harvard Business Review uh, published an article in August that talked about the fact that very few companies are really structured with what they need to even achieve AI at scale. I mean, the number was like 8%. It's really, really low. 
And there's lots of articles written about how companies are struggling, that they get stuck in experimentation, things that work in a lab don't necessarily work in, um, in, in, in production. And that's because we never did that before. This is you know, the way that we're creating models and infusing them into applications and mobile apps and websites. That really, that's all very, very new technology. And I think we're going to look back at this point in time and we're going to say that this pandemic was such an incredible catalyst for companies re-evaluating how they need to attack these projects and making sure they get all the way through into successful operationalization. And whereas it wasn't, I don't know that the sense of urgency, like these, these were cool things we could do. These were interesting things, but they weren't, like it, we wanted to remain competitive. We were concerned about disruption, but they weren't urgent. And I think we're going to look back at this time period and say that, wow, we really accelerated getting to AI at scale because it became urgent and necessary. And if you look at um, what's been happening with, you know, just remote work and, and distance learning, there, there are so many companies that, for whatever reason, just hadn't embraced those things until now. We have lots of office workers that, you know, work for CPG companies or in banking or in other industries that, or, you know, a government for sure, that just never worked remote. And now that's all they have. And that creates, you know, because necessity definitely does become, you know, the mother of invention. And I remember last year, once my daughter had, had the flu, and as she was recovering, she was really well enough to go to a class online. I wouldn't have sent her to school because she could have had a relapse or infected others, but it was really a shame that she was home, you know, watching Netflix all day, which really could have been a distance learning. And th there was no embracing of that. And now look what's happening like around the globe, how overnight almost now all of these institutions that have embraced distance learning. Yeah, because you have to think that's going to be a overall just culturally positive because before there was this idea that you perhaps weren't serious about what you're doing if you didn't push through, maybe feeling a little sick or go to the office anyway. Part of it was because there weren't very good structures set up for you to stay home and part of it was cultural, but perhaps having those structures set up will reduce some of the uh, cultural effects of it and say, hey, if, you don't, if you're feeling ill today, don't go into the office and take the chance of getting other people sick and this will make people be a little more mindful of the effects of contagion and other things and having those structures set up will turn out to be helpful. Do you think that companies that are trying to kind of get back on their feet will look to things like AI as an accelerator to what they were doing, whereas before they were trying to optimize, but now they're thinking, hey, we're running a bit of a race with other companies that are trying to get themselves going again. Is AI something they could look toward to help them get there? So I think that's going to be really critical. So yeah, I think there's a couple of phases to what we're going through right now. So right now, it feels like Rome is burning. And what our focus at this moment in time is how do we be a good global citizen and use IBM's resources to be as helpful to the global community as possible. And there's a number of things that IBM is doing. We are part of a, a consortium 
um, with the White House that is making um, compute um, power available at a massive scale to accelerate research um, and discovery for doctors, scientists, and anyone who's working to um, work on treatment and cures. Um, we're working um, on all sorts of areas of resiliency and helping companies adapt with the new normal, the, the sudden work at home. Um, and we're working on being a, a trusted source of information. Um, we've uh, launched um, a whole uh, site with, together with um, weather.com. You have to go to weather.com slash coronavirus. Uh, you'll see county level um, case information and trusted information about treatment and information. And in addition, we are trying to be there as much as we can um, for our clients. So for example, one of the things that we had done for trusted information is um, pre-train a Watson virtual assistant so that people with questions around COVID ID, where to go for testing, where, I mean, you can imagine the influx of questions that all government agencies have been seeing, like a deluge of calls of people desperately looking for information. And um, our customers have experienced that as well. One of the very first places we made this available outside of, um, of government agencies in the CDC was um, a children's hospital that had seen a huge spike of calls into the nursing emergency hotline to the tune of like five to 10,000 a day. I mean, how on earth do you have enough resources at a time of crisis to be able to handle those things? Um, and so we made our Watson virtual assistant available with the pre-trained models around COVID-19. And in 72 hours, that was fully implemented and fielding calls from concerned parents. And then we started thinking, wow, you know, we have commercial customers that are also suffering in a time where they not only have to deal with the crisis around them, but they have employees with questions, they have customers with questions. And so we've opened that up as well um, for them to use the system for um, a few months at no charge, no commitment, just to help them, you know, through this period of time. So for the first phase is this Rome is burning. Like, what do we have to do right now to handle this crisis, to keep our business a going concern, to take care of our, of our employees, which I know so many companies are really struggling to make sure they do the best thing they can by their employees, and to, of course, take care of their customers. I mean, I, I see firsthand um, how our grocery retailers are, are fighting so hard to make sure that there are the right goods to, to keep our families you know, families everywhere going to make sure babies have formulas and at formula and diapers and, and the essentials. And I love our, our heroes on the front lines that are making sure that the people that need the things in this country still have them, including all of the healthcare workers that put themselves at tremendous risk to take care of the population. But once this starts tapering off, I think we're going to enter into a new phase. And that is right now, I don't know that people can really think about recovery, Kenny. I think I think that's so far off, unfortunately, on the horizon with so much chaos right now and these numbers still climbing. I think that hopefully within a few weeks, um, we'll start to see the, the number of new cases starting to level off and start tapering. And then I think it's going to be time to be thinking about what, how do we return to the operational, like the levels of operations that we had and they may not be the same levels. There may be 
you know, there may be things we need to think of differently. I know that there's a lot of, when when you talk about becoming a data-driven organization, we sometimes see resistance in the marketplace because there's so much, you know, experience and expertise and tribal knowledge. And I I see in data scientists and engineering teams create models that evaluate data and have amazing insights. And I have seen line of business leaders look at the insights and say, Mm, I've been doing this for 15 to 20 years. I know better. And that feels like, you know, a black box or, 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 you know, just too magical thinking. I'm going to do, I'm going to rely on my gut. But here we are in a point in history where there is no experience. There is no one alive that has lived through what we're living through now, where you see stores en masse closed down, hotels across South Florida shut down, Airline routes rolled back to what they were in the early 1950s. Who has the experience to make the critical decisions about how we bring that back online and how do we make the right decisions to accelerate the recovery? And I have to imagine that there are going to be things that people can be doing. I know there are going to be things that people can and should be doing that the data is the only source that's going to be able to inform those decisions. And, and I think the reliance on AI and machine learning is going to be so critical that we will look back and we'll say that wh- how and why did companies get to AI at scale? Because they had, they had to recover. And that was the only way that they could know they were doing it as efficiently as, as possible and protecting their solvency. Yeah, that's, fascinating you bring it up because it it makes you think about things you haven't in the past that if you strip away all of the experience what you have left and in a lot of cases all you have left is data or things that could be collected that you could somehow assimilate and make some sense of so it makes me think a little bit about all of the data that you can put together the way in which you synthesize that data a lot of times lead to conclusions which can lead to either foreseen or unforeseen consequences. And I'm very interested in what IBM's doing in terms of Watson, being able to answer the phone, being able to answer questions, because you can see how economic anxiety or health anxiety leads the way people react to certain things. Are there ways in which AI can take that data and somehow discern what's the best message that goes out to people just by looking at data or is it always going to require some kind of human experience to add to that so that the data isn't interpreted in ways that cause unforeseen circumstances to occur? So I think there are really um, two, two, two sides of what you just asked. So I think from um, an influx of questions that we're seeing from employees and from customers as well, uh, I think for those types of things, the what a natural language capability gives you is the ability to train it with what those answers should be, and then answer a very wide range of questions. So, you know, we have seen, you know, people have, you know, implemented over time, you know, chatbots that are really just, you know, automating FAQs, if you will, um, versus using a true conversational AI assistant that allows the company to very quickly train on, you know, what are, what is the intent behind the question? so that they can answer that question appropriately no matter how the question comes in. And that's the 
that you know that was the work that IBM has been doing as a service to the CDC and to citizens to create those models which are already created so that we can just make them available at no charge to help um, government agencies and um, the CDC through that crisis. And updating what the answer is is simple. It's, it's almost as easy as going into an Excel file and overwriting text. That's what it would respond. Um, all of that works in any channel. So whether it's a phone call or whether it's, it's someone asking a question in Slack or Facebook Messenger or uh, you know through text, doesn't make a difference. It's all coming from the same central place. And we have like folks that we're talking to, they're like, listen, we, we implemented a chatbot a while ago. Yes, it's FAQs. Yes, it took us a long time to train, but we're getting so many phone calls that we need a way that we can quickly put, you know, conversational AI behind a voice bot. No problem. We got you. Like we can handle that. So I think for those types of, of you know, questions and answers, you want to program what you, what the, the company wants the answers to be. And the conversational AI bot minimizes the training. Uh, it's hosted online so that they don't have to worry, we don't have to tax any resources about worrying about, about running the environment to make it as easy, as simple as possible. That doesn't have to be a long-term solution, but the stopgap that's perfectly acceptable. And um, I think you know, that's something that I would say is definitely trained. On the, the other aspect of that is where we don't have any experience and expertise to help us navigate the recovery. I can tell you that we are right now working internally within IBM on a couple of different, I just call it a think tank, where we are thinking through what are going to be the right leading indicators. If your retailer and your stores are closed and you are going to, and it's going to happen, we all know there will be a point in time where this crisis will be in the rear view mirror, it will be something we all lived through and thrived through because I believe in the resiliency of our human race. We will, there will be leading indicators that will help inform those decisions. So whether they are things like the county level information on new cases, if I was a retailer, I might be looking at, show me the patterns of illness and recovery the other thing that I think about is we were talking earlier about how people have prioritized certain decisions over time. And I'll, I'll just give you one example. In the world of, um, in the world of retail, if you, a company had a brick and mortar store, that might be driving 85% of their revenue versus 15% on their digital properties or you know, something of that nature. They might have prioritized decisions to make investments and in optimizing things that impact the physical store and not necessarily have optimized their digital presence. So if you look at the way, you know, search engines on sites, recommendation engine, you know, personalization, the way you connect an individual with goods, all of that are going to be areas of investment because if digital is all you have, you need to optimize digital to make sure that you can capture every ounce of revenue that you can to aid the recovery. So we, we have an internal think tank where we're putting together all of these ideas so that when companies are ready to start talking about what's the most efficient way to emerge from this crisis, then we'll be ready with a, a lot of very mature ideas and even some pre-trained models that we can help them implement. 
Yeah, that's that's a very interesting point you made about what's going to be happen as the people and businesses get ready to move forward. I've read some things that say maybe contrary to things we may think that the recovery itself will probably take phase and phases or stages over some time. It won't be that suddenly all the stores are open back up and we'll just start on a Saturday showing back up, but there may be certain segments that you ask that start working or certain industries. Do you think, and this may not be a direct AI question, but a technology question that there are things being worked on now that will help in that recovery to have an understanding of maybe how we reopen the United States for lack of a better term, once this is starting to get behind us? Oh, I, I absolutely do. I think, well, I, I think that's exactly what I was referring to. And the fact that we don't have, the, you know, well, the last time we did a global shutdown of all of our properties, here's how we brought our systems back online and this order, and this is what was most effective. None of us have done that. So there are going to be brand new decisions that, that, that people are going to have to make. And there are absolutely leading indicators that we'll be able to harvest data likely outside of an organization that are going to become critical inputs to make the best decision-making possible. And the level of creativity that companies bring to the table is actually going to be their competitive advantage. Because th this is going... I think that when we, again, we're going to be writing about this time, time period for a very long time. This is going to end up in, you know, curriculum in terms of, you know, what happened, how companies deal, dealt with it, those that survived and those that thrived. And if you look back in any, you know, recession or depression, there were always companies that thrived through that time period. And I do believe that, AI and data and the insights from, from proxy data is going to be exceptionally meaningful. And this is what's going to accelerate um, getting to AI at scale faster because it became necessary. And those that were, you know, really went after thoughtfully trying to put the, the best collective minds together to strategize on what data to use as proxy data and what real-time data of, of things that we can collect uh, and incorporate that into the decision, I think is, is going to have a huge, hugely important, absolute dramatic impact. Yeah, and I love that way of thinking about it, Deborah. You know, when Andrew Yang was running for president, one of his big platforms was how automation and AI may hurt, and it, it very well may hurt at some point in some future. But I think the ideas you're bringing forward now is, yeah, there's all these very powerful capabilities of AI, but you have to mix that with creativity and decision-making and the real human element of it as well in order to really make the solution what it is. It's a holistic thing, not a partial thing where AI just makes a bunch of decisions for us and we wait for the outputs. And I, I really like that. I really like that you think creativity may be the main driver between the really successful, the marginally successful, and those that don't make it at all. Oh, I, I, I think we can train the machines to do a lot of things, but we're never going to be able to train them to have, you know, that level of ideation and, and that creativity of, of, I mean, if you, if you ever sit with a data scientist and just watch how they, how iterative the process is and how it's, it's about, it's about finding different threads and following those threads to see where they lead us there. It, it's not so black and white. It's, it's that, that dedication to, 
to wanting to keep, you know, exploring and experimenting further until you get to the point where you feel very confident that, that you've taken some meaningful insight from it. And that's why we're, we're working on this now, because by the time that our customers are, 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 you know, have found their sea legs in this new normal, we want to be ahead of that curve so that we can provide even more value to them. Yeah, and I would suspect that IBM's doing a lot of work now on the data collection side so that if something like this does happen again, and we should presume it will, that it won't be a first time again, right? That a lot of stuff and new information and data and ways of handling it have been uncovered, discovered, and captured throughout what's happening here. I'm guessing that IBM's collecting tons of data right now as part of their collaborations with the government and the Weather Channel and other organizations. Is there a way in which that data is going to be used in the future? Are there new initiatives that are starting about learning about this as an academic pursuit so that it can be used again in the future? Absolutely. In fact, I was on a call, a call earlier um, today with um, a member of my team, Bill Higgins, and he was a key driver in a lot of the work that we've done to drive the county level data um, into the Weather Channel app and on their website. And I can't, I have to tell you, this is going to be a fascinating case study because the way that it is going, I mean, you can't imagine how much data it's ingesting, structured, unstructured, how we're scraping for it, but bringing all of that together in a trusted way is something that if we had you know, sat down in a conference room, you know, five months ago before this is ever even a remote reality, you would have looked at this and said, okay, you want to do what? Wow. This is probably a six or eight, eight month endeavor. And, um, you know, it feels really big and overwhelming. And should we even be doing this? And if I tell you the work was done, you know, in a matter of days by very dedicated people who worked literally around the clock, but what I love about this story of what they've accomplished was, okay, maybe you're not going to do these things in days, but even so, it now proves out that it's doable in a short period of time. And I really hope that, you know, I'm sure they will do a deep dive and, you know, a kind of a postmortem on that project because it, it, it's enormous in scale. And it's amazing how, how quickly resources mobilize to just unite and get it done. But that work is going to live on. Um, in some type of, you know, crisis response system, that there's the things that we're learning through this and how unprepared we all feel for what we're going through now. Of course, um, there's so much work that we're doing on security and, and resiliency and, you know, d disaster planning that, you know, I guess no, no one, you know, th this is, this was not in a lot of people's disaster recovery. You know, if a, if, if a system went down or if a server went down or if a data right. center went down, but nothing to this level. And I guess we, we, we could be more prepared for it. But more than that, I'll tell you that what I, I see is maybe on a, on, a, on a smaller scale. I see that it's very easy and not just in business, but in our lives that we get into a business as usual routine. And sometimes when we're in the business as usual, there are things that could be better. There are things we know aren't working as well as they should, but we also feel like, you know, we, live with, we lived with them all of this time. How urgent is it we, we fix it? And there are supply chains that have been 
you know, operating with siloed, rigid, disconnected systems. And they knew that they couldn't get real-time information on demand. They knew they couldn't, you know, appropriately predict um, what their inventories level should be, you know, but they could also continue running the business and it was, it was, it was good enough. I think this crisis exposes in many companies the, the underlying systems that needed modernization that we hadn't quite gotten there. And now it's very important that we do. And we will look back and not just say that this is the time that we, you know, got to just AI at scale, but it will have driven so much digital transformation because it really exposed the things in the organization that absolutely positively had to be fixed so that we were ready for the future. And sadly, you know, I don't think any of us think the one thing about, you know, September 11th is that that was, that was so sudden and so impactful. And then there was, a quick, you know, return to normal as fast as we could. It was like, a, you know, the flicking of the light switch. It went on, it went off. It went off, it went back on the other way. Whereas here, it was almost this, you know, we saw it happening in, you know, a far off land. We watched it as it then impacted Europe. And then it came to the United States with, you know, it's funny, I think, how did we not expect it was going to come here? but caught so many of us by surprise. And then the speed at it swiftly, you know, moving through the country and the, the responsible things to do in terms of the way that things, everyone had to shelter in place and shut things down and minimize social contact. Those are all the right things, but no systems were prepared. No commercial systems were really prepared for this. Right. And had they been, maybe some of the decisions wouldn't have been as extreme as they are like you say, shelter in place and others, that's the safest, best thing to do is just avoid contact. But given no other options, you kind of have to go with the harshest of all possible responses. And maybe learning more in the future, things could have been done differently. And that'll be interesting to find out later as we've had time to look this over again, look back over all the data and have a good understanding about it. I agree with you. There will be books, case studies, articles, and things in schools about this for many years to come, looking back at this and how it was handled and how we should go forward. And companies like IBM, I think, will be very prevalent in those discussions because of the way they have been able to help because of the resources at their disposal, the minds at their disposal, and the creativity inherent in the organization. And I think that's great. And I really appreciate your time today speaking with us about all that. How should people connect with you, Deborah, if they want to know more about all the stuff we've been talking about today? Oh, absolutely. The best place to connect with me is on LinkedIn. And um, I'd be more than happy, you know, as you know, we were publishing different things across IBM, I, I do my best to try and keep my, my news feed um, updated. Um, but certainly anyone that would like to connect and reach out directly, I would say that, you know, IBM is really focused on just being as helpful as we can and making sure that we all come out of this on the other side, you know, as strong as we can be and, you know, have a, a bright and healthy future together. Yep. And that's, of course, what we all hope for is everybody's help first and then minimizing the other things that go around it. So, Thanks again. We appreciate your time and look forward to talking to you again on another topic. Thank you so much.